And welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. For over 60 years, East Central Illinois' daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join on the phone, online, or via text. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com. Or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Friday morning here in downtown Champaign and across east central Illinois. We are at 20 degrees, quite a bit of a drop from this time yesterday morning. And uh, what do they call that? Freeze-dried, freeze-frame uh, stuff we had last night as the uh, temperature plummeted. Uh, I went into the uh, State Farm Center last night for the game with Iowa before the ball game. And uh, I just got in, I guess, ahead of the downpour. It rained very heavily. And then later on, the temperature dropped about 30 degrees. And by the time we got out, it was uh, very, very slick outside. Didn't get a lot of accumulation, but I guess we're going to get one or two inches here coming up in the uh, day or next 24 or 48 hours, I guess, at this point. So quite a, a weather change last night. And unfortunately, a uh, late night for a lot of us, the Illini basketball team losing in overtime to the Iowa Hawkeyes. I don't know if you knew that was the second largest comeback for a win in Iowa history, they tell me. So uh, you saw that last night or heard it, and uh, that was unfortunate. We'll talk about uh, that ball game and also – uh, some other uh, issues in an open line in hour number two. Also, I visited with uh, Tim Brando. He's one of my favorite sportscasters. He's been on CBS and ESPN and you name it, he's done it. And uh, visited with him uh, last night. And I've got a portion of that interview coming up in the uh, second hour today. A lot of talk about Dick Enberg, who just passed away, one of my favorites. So we'll uh, do some of that and take your open line phone calls in hour number two. Had a lot of fun with the soda pop talk at the end of the uh, show yesterday got a lot of texts and emails and phone calls about that so uh, that was fun let me give you the phone numbers three five six nine three nine seven you can text us on the castle heating and cooling text line three five one five three five seven you can email us talk at wdws.com well there's been a lot of topics this week but uh, page a1 just about every day and sometimes uh, if you go online on our uh, news gazette wdws uh, all of the uh, websites we have here uh, it is DACA. It is immigration. It is the Gang of Eight. It is the senators meeting with the president. Uh, immigration, of course, has been the headline issue so far here in 2018. And we're going to be joined in a couple of minutes here after the break by Professor Michael Leroy. He is at the uh, University of Illinois School of Labor and Employment Relations in the College of Law. And so I can talk, we can talk about all of this, but he understands it at a much deeper level than uh, most of us. So we're going to have him join us here in just a couple of minutes after our opening timeout. So we'll do that. Michael Leroy from the University of Illinois here in hour number one and open line in hour number two. All of that straight ahead on Penny for Your Thoughts for a Friday. Stay tuned. Glad you're with us. Welcome back to Penny for Your Thoughts. Let me give you the phone numbers, 356-9397. You can email us, talk at WDWS.com. You can text us. Castle Heating and Cooling text line uh, 3515357. We're at 911, 20 degrees. More snow on the way. We're inside, though, in our downtown studios. Pleased to be joined by Professor Michael Leroy from the uh, College of Law, the School of Labor and Employment Relations, 
over at the University of Illinois. How are you? I'm well. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks this for is, having uh, me in. This is an appropriate day to have you in because <laughs> every uh, front page in the paper has uh, been covering the immigration discussion, and we'll talk in general about that, maybe dig down a little bit because I know you have a specific interest in employment and relating to immigration and so forth, so we'll get into that. But for people that don't know you, uh, give your background a little bit. Well, um, University of Illinois grad, uh, grew up uh, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and then went to the University of North Carolina, Carolina Law School, and returned here, um, one of the best breaks of my life to get a, a job as a professor here, and 31 years later, I feel blessed uh, for the career that I'm having. Mm -hmm. And you uh, s specialize in what, labor relations and a lot of different areas within that I do. Field, right? uh, so initially, my research looked at unions uh, in the context of strikes and change our research interests over time, and we try to stay relevant. About 10 years ago, uh, I started looking at the employment element of immigration law. Immigration law is multifaceted. It has a component for refugees. It has a component for asylum. I look at the employment element, mm -hmm. so we do have an employment component. And you teach a class that I know you're trying to get more people to teach across the country that's pretty unique, right? I am. Um, so the employment piece is important. It's front and center in the news almost every day and throughout the campaign in 2016, and yet there is not a, uh, a, a graduate-level course or a law school course that looks at employment specifically in the context of immigration. So I've written a book. Um, and so far have not had success in publishing it. <laughs> but you but do my, teach it. I, yeah. We teach it, and my students uh, and I learn uh, by going through this material. We learn from each other. So whether it's published or not is immaterial. It, it's a successful enterprise. All right. We're going to talk immigration here, and I guess we can start about anywhere. But uh, what do you make of this whole week? There was a big meeting two or three days ago at the White House. What, do you, what did you make of all of that, and why is this now issue number one? Here, right out of the gate in January. Great question. So it's been this has been building since for for the past ten years. So there was a, a group called the Gang of Eight. They are four Republican senators, four Democratic senators, mm -hmm. and they were dealing with border issues and DACA issues back in two thousand seven. Um, in any event, um, that group was unable to legislate. In twenty thirteen, that group came back to life. And the Senate passed a comprehensive immigration reform bill, 62 to 38. Fourteen Republicans voted for it. Mm -hmm. So what we saw yesterday when Lindsey Graham was speaking for some Republicans in that White House meeting, he was speaking of a so-called tentative deal that is a resurrection of the 2013 deal. And Dick Durbin was his Democratic counterpart in 2013. Um, I think where the president was coming from, aside from his gut reaction there is the new people in the room are Senators Purdue and Cotton and Kevin McCarthy. Mm -hmm. They represent a different approach. They, they want, um, they're much more into, um, do we have English speaker immigrants? They're looking, there, there seems to be a component of race in, in what they're saying. So they're, on the Republican side, there seems to be a divide between a business-oriented approach, that would be Lindsey Graham, and a nativist approach, which would be Tom Cotton. And that was the meeting yesterday where the president said what he said. Uh, and, of course, that made headline news um, in reference to some other countries. But this is different from the meeting that occurred 
a couple of days ago is what you're saying. They added two or three new people. That's right. So the, the meeting two or three days ago seemed to be going in the direction of let's, as a, as a country, let's do the 2013 deal that the Senate passed. And then in the past two days, um, it moved in the direction of uh, the RAISE Act, uh, that's R-A-I-S-E, proposed by Purdue and Cotton. People can Google that, look that up. Mm -hmm. It would cut legal immigration by about one half. It would be very detrimental to a number of uh, industries and businesses. Mm -hmm. 356-9397. You can join us on the phone. You can text us, Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 3515357. You can email us, talk at WDWS.com. Michael Leroy is going to be with us here this entire hour. I don't know if we can barely scratch the surface probably on most of this, but if you have some questions in regards to this, why this, how that, uh, the back and forth on this uh, really has been something. And really, when you think about it, you mentioned 10 years ago, you had the, what was it, Ronald Reagan in the mid-'80s had the the last time big immigration was dealt with, right? That's right, 1986. Excellent, uh, Brian. So that's the uh, Immigration Reform and Control Act. Now, um, what I find intriguing um, in terms of the dialogue today is um, conservatives don't make the following argument, at least not prominently, and that was part of that, it was a compromise uh, uh, law, and it granted amnesty to 3 million people who crossed uh, or overstayed a visa Mm -hmm. But there was an amnesty provision and a path to citizenship. And so um, my students talk about this. I I listen. We talk about it. But the point is made that if you granted amnesty for 3 million people back then and you grant amnesty today, you you keep feeding the cycle. Um, Conservatives tend not to make that argument. Um, And and I think they're missing, um, I I think, a a good argument, which is we've done this before. That, That law, by the way, uh, not only created amnesty, but it also created this verification process that every one of us goes through where we have we have to fill out what's called an I-9 form and verify um, that we are a citizen or that we have a permit to work here. When you get a new job. Ex- ex- you, that's yeah. a result of that 1986 yeah. law. Well, and you throw in the, and we can get into DACA and what that is and how that plays into this, and then we have the um, government shutdown looming because they had a continuing resolution before Christmas that... So it's all kind of tied in together, which to me is, uh, you know, there's a lot of political stuff going on here. But anyway, if you have some thoughts or comments, questions, uh, we have an expert in the room. So I can kind of talk around this and talk about it, but this gentleman knows uh, what he is speaking of. So, or at least can go that direction. And I'm pretty sure he can. So uh, let's go to Susan. Susan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Um, I just have a comment that I think it's... Excuse me, it's something we probably all ought to think about. Um, My husband and I were in Canada recently, and our taxi driver wants to come to America. And he's been on a waiting list for 10 years just to complete paperwork. He's he's, uh, trying to go through all the processes, and, and it's not the first time we've heard this. I'm really concerned that there are people that are following all the rules. They're trying to come in the right way, and they're having a tough time. And here we are, as a country, suddenly have a discussion about uh, handing uh, residency or citizenship to people that have come in illegally. Now, I'd be the first to say, let's try to help these people. But I think that there should be some process that they need to go through 
and some fine or something, some kind of a fee, uh, just to balance out those poor people who are waiting to get in here. And I'll just hang up and listen to you. Okay. Thank you, Susan. I think Susan makes an excellent point. There are uh, millions of people who go through the legal process. It takes years. It is expensive, and most are not successful. So there's a fairness issue there. Um, I do want to speak to something Susan said toward the end. The the provisions for DACA are not um, automatic. So, for example, um, uh, if an individual who qualifies by age for DACA but has uh, criminal offenses, they don't qualify. Um, and there are provisions currently under the regulations for they have to be employed, they have to be in college, they have to serve in the military. So it's not a free ride. So this idea that the DACA provision is an automatic grant, um, that's not what is in the uh, legislation, and that's not in the regulations that President Obama promulgated. So DACA stands for, for people that uh, don't know. Yeah, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival. Mm -hmm. So if you break that down, <laughs> deferred action means that these individuals are deportable. Mm -hmm. uh, they're subject to deportation. So it's the government's way of saying we will defer that. The action is deportation. The second part is childhood arrival. These are individuals who... Um, did not make the decision to come here. They were brought here by their parents, one or more parents. Uh, uh, however they got here, they, they arrived as children. Mm -hmm. And now that uh, DACA is open to undocumented immigrants who are younger than 31 as of June 15, 2012. When President Obama approved that program, they had to have arrived in the U.S. before their 16th birthday and before June 15, 2007. Right. So that's uh, how that works. And there's a great story in the News Gazette uh, today. Uh, Julie Worth did one, a fine reporter there, talking about a recent U of I graduate, uh, Jamie Nolasco. I don't know if you know oh, Jamie at all. Yes. But uh, was in Washington, I guess, lobbying on behalf of the Dreamers, as they're known. Yes. All right, let's go back to the phones. Michael Leroy is with us this morning. We're talking immigration. Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Yes, good morning. I was just wondering, is there an average number of years it would take for someone who is in another country applying? Is there kind of a standard how many years that would take before you actually get to be able to come? Sarah, great question. Um, there's there It doesn't have an easy answer, and here's why. Um, on the employment side, um, we have a very segmented structure. So... Melania Trump came here as a fashion model. That is a faster track. Um, the industry helped to write that law uh, about 30 years ago. Uh, so, um, and she came here legally. Um, and she had to meet a very high standard of, of uh, professional achievement. Um, now, on the computer technology element, that's called an H-1B visa. That gets a lot of play in the news. Um, that takes uh, applicants many years. It can take 10 or more years. Uh, they keep reapplying. Part of the reason it takes many years is we only admit 70,000, and employers want to hire more than 70,000, employers such as Google, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, um, but there, there's a small opening relative to what the labor market is. So um, it, it's safe to say 
years, and it's also safe to say it depends on the type of visa you are looking at. There's a second kind. There, there are many kinds, but the, uh, we, we've had the El Salvadoran uh, situation come up here. That's a, that's a, a completely different uh, process. Um, it's outside of employment, uh, but that deals with, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, compassion, uh, um, uh, it right? has to do with earthquakes uh, in that instance and in Haiti uh, as well um, and so that has a different timeline it's a quicker timeline but I can't give you a timeline estimate okay what brought that up was they were running a, a movie from the 40s last night where a gentleman was waiting in Mexico to get his papers to, to come to the state and they were telling him it would be a five to eight year wait well, he decided to rush it some and married an American. So anyway, that, that was what prompted the question if there was, this, you know, how many how long that would take. So it was a very interesting movie. Thank right. you. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for your call. We're here with Michael Leroy. We're talking immigration issues today. So in this first hour, open line in hour number two. And we'll come back with more with Michael Leroy. And we've got some texts coming in as well. We'll do all of that next as we continue on Penny for Your Thoughts. On a Friday morning, we're on Penny for Your Thoughts, 356-9397, Castle Heating and Cooling, text line 3515357, email us, talk at wdws.com. Michael Leroy in this first hour, and again, we're talking immigration issues. This is, uh, what did you call it, alphabet soup of... Uh, and Acronyms it, and everything else? Uh, it's very confusing to me because <laughs> so many things are labeled with acronyms like DACA, and you have to sit there and take it apart and figure out what it means. Mm -hmm. And this uh, obviously is an issue that cuts across a lot of different lines and parties in some sense, and I think it was probably part, and I, I don't think it's more than probably, why President Trump did so well in the election and won. It was a driving force. People had the sense that, hey, you've got, we've had the callers mention the people that have had to wait eight or ten years or go through this whole process, and then you've got a border that was basically, you know, open. I mean, people were just pouring across, and I think there was the sense that something needs to be done, and no matter what it is that needs to be done, do it, you know, and that's kind of where we are, the back and forth. That's right, and it's so multifaceted. Um, there, there are elements. It, it breaks down by industry, but you know, communities. Iowa is a, a really fascinating state to look at, and that's where Donald Trump uh, was first successful and mm -hmm. pulled off a surprise primary victory. But Iowa has uh, meatpacking plants, and um, they're vital to the um, local economy uh, in many cities in Iowa. Uh, but you don't have enough Americans working in the plant to make it sustainable. Um, so you attract people who are either legal or not legal to work there. Mm -hmm. uh, but in any event, then you get this culture clash. You have people coming into your community speaking another language. Uh, they don't look the way that everybody else does, but they're contributing to the local economy and they're keeping that plant open. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the tug of war that is going on. All right, back to the phones here. Let's go to Danny. Hi, Danny. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? How are you? I'm upright and taking nourishment. That's good. That's good. Uh, a question for Dr. Leroy. Uh, this DACA that was implemented by Obama, in your opinion, Dr. Leroy, is it constitutional? Uh, and if not, why are they letting it proceed? Great question. So we had a court ruling that said it was an unlawful exercise of presidential power. So um, 
that's what uh, a court in Texas said about President Obama's uh, DACA regulation. Um, I would say also that President Trump has issued regulations relating to immigration uh, that uh, Democrats say exceed his constitutional authority, and we've had a split of court rulings on it. Um, getting back to your question, um, I do think it is constitutional. I think it's constitutional because a president has what we call plenary uh, powers in immigration. Um, it's ironic that President Trump makes the same argument when he has the travel ban, and he says, um, look, uh, the um, executive branch implements the law. Uh, all of this is rooted in a 1965 statute called the Immigration and Nationality Act. And Congress has delegated broad authority to the president to implement that law. So President Obama used that broad authority. President Trump has used that broad authority. One used it uh, in favor of immigration. One has used it uh, to restrict immigration. Okay. Uh, I would also like to uh, ask you if these rulings that have been made, were they're legal and they're illegal, unconstitutional, constitutional, uh, how many of them have been to the Supreme Court for the final ruling? Well, we we haven't uh, had that. So we, we are going to have that in the present term with respect to um, the, the travel ban. Um, so we are going to get an answer to your question here, uh, and it'll probably be in, in May or June. Will that also include the DACA provision by Obama? No, it won't. And so part of what President Trump was saying when he put a a limit on this uh, and said um, six more months and it, it's it's up to Congress to take care of it. I think fundamentally he's right that it is uh, for lawmakers to um, take care of this uh, mm -hmm. and it, it's best handled through our elected lawmakers and not through the president and not through the courts. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank uh, you. You've enlightened me somewhat. Thank, thank right. you. Thank you, Danny. All right. We need to break for the news. We'll take more phone calls, texts, emails. Professor Michael Leroy here from the University of Illinois College of Law. He's an expert in labor and employment relations. We're talking about immigration. Boy, has it been in the news this week. And we've got news headlines with Michael Kaiser next. A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart continues on News Talk 1400 WDWS. You can reach out to us on the phone at 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com or text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. 20 degrees here at 937. Glad you're with us on A Penny for Your Thoughts today on this Friday. we got an open line in hour number two. We will have. But uh, Michael Leroy is with us here from the University of Illinois College of Law. If you need a car repaired, if you slid on the ice somewhere, Gallo Miller Paint and Collision Repair is a full-service collision repair facility. Dave Miller and Bill Gallo are the two gentlemen there. They truly care about uh, your vehicle. This year marking their 18th year in the business. They've repaired over 23,000 vehicles. They're hands-on in their business. They're in the shop every day, and that's not necessarily true of all collision repair shops, and they know the collision repair business inside and out. A lot of times you don't want to, I mean, you're in a wreck, and you think, man, i got to call the insurance adjuster, and i got to get a car, and all of that. They can help you with all of that uh, as you experience 
your accident and getting repaired. So uh, Dave and Bill, they know that collision uh, repair business inside and out. Free estimates are always offered. Conveniently and centrally located in Champaign-Urbana, south side of I-74 between the Neal Street and Prospect exits, and their website is gallomiller.com. Michael Leroy is in the studio. A couple of texts, uh, just to read them here. Uh, expletives coughed up by the president. Every bit of his tiny amount of class just flew away. And uh, also from CJ, I support the president. People from those third world countries, they can't handle the truth. They'll get over it. I already have. So there's a couple of texts. Um, real quick, the gang of eight that uh, Michael Leroy mentioned off the top, they were in the room the other day. These were the, the gang of eight from uh, what, June of 2013. Senator Michael Bennett, Democrat, Colorado. Dick Durbin of Illinois. If you saw the film, he was sitting right next to the president. Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, Republican. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. John McCain of Arizona. Robert Menendez, Democrat from New Jersey. Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida. And Chuck Schumer of New York. So those were the uh, the gang of eight, if you will. Oh, hang on a second. There we go. Yeah, the Gang of Eight was 2013, and many of those people were in the room um, the other day. I'm not sure everybody was, mm -hmm. but they are. That's it's it's their legislation that is really now this compromise piece that the president rejected yesterday. All right, uh, let's go back to the phones here, and I believe uh, let's see here. Let's go to Bobby. Bobby, how are you? What's on your mind, sir? Uh, before I ask the question, I'd just like to make a quick statement. I've been wanting to say for years since uh, Jim been on been in charge, but I want to make a make a quick statement, real quick. That uh, of all the poverty in the black neighborhood all over the United States, I'd like to make a statement that black people did not did not create poverty. In our neighborhoods, it was not created by by the black citizens of their own neighborhood. That mm -hmm. poverty was not created by the black people. All right, you got a, you, we, you got an immigration question for us, Bobby? Yeah, yes, I do. Okay, go ahead with that. When uh, when I did when we got a president like we got now, so did uh, so outrageously. Uh, uh, it's just so uh, a terrible president we have now. If if Congress, if the Republican Congress, want to uh, succeed, I'd like to ask your guess. Would they, do you think it'd be wise for them to, to stand up against this president and get and um, and and set out a a twenty fifth amendment amendment and have him removed? All right, we'll let him answer that, okay? Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you, Bobby. Yep. Uh, Bobby, I, I think um, for the past 24 hours, um, uh, many of us are focused on the, the vulgarity in the president's comment, but he asked a question, and I thought about his question, and his question was, why would we admit people from Haiti? Um, and I have an answer for the president, and my answer for the president is, I've had two students at the University of Illinois who are children of parents who came over from Haiti. Um, both of these students came to us uh, from the University of Texas, so I'm in a graduate degree program. These, they're very interesting young ladies. Um, one was born in Haiti, came over as a, an infant. One was born in America. 
But here's my answer to President Trump. Why we do this is because they are successful. Now, both of these uh, ladies graduated with uh, a degree, a master's degree in human resources from our university, and both are very successful professionally, and both are contributing members of our society. So putting aside the comment, um, I would just answer the president directly. We do this because it's, uh, it's good for America, and I can point to two people who are successful. All right, back to the phones here with Professor Michael Leroy. Let's go to Ben. How are you, Ben? Doing well, thanks. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I was uh, wondering... Um, Kind of on the on the employer um, compliance and the employer activity side of of things, um, you know, we, we've heard for years, you know, back under Obama and back under Bush, um, instances where undocumented um, employees are often taken advantage of by their employers who are able to um, violate labor laws because they they know that their undocumented employees are are fearful about you know retaliation if if you know, if they seek higher wages, if they seek enforcement of labor laws. I'm wondering now that we're about a year into an administration that has increased and ramped up the rhetoric against um, against immigrants, both legal and uh, and undocumented, um, is it too early to see patterns of how are, are more employers acting in sort of this scofflaw manner and, and taking advantage of, of undocumented employees? Are, are we seeing worse violations of labor law, or is, it, is, is that data to get at this point? Uh, it's a really good question. The data aren't there yet, and the court cases aren't there yet. Um, but asking a very important question about taking advantage of people. Um, so one of the cases that we talk about is a man from India who actually came here lawfully uh, under a three-year permit, um, and uh, his employer was not sponsoring him for another three years. He wanted to stay in America. So he had to agree to a rate that was half of what the government says. The, an employer cannot bring somebody in under an H-1B visa and fill in the blank. There has to be what they call a labor certification. It's to prevent wage cutting, wage suppression. So the employer said, if you want to stay in America, you've got to work for 40000 not 72000 which is the labor certification rate. And what we'll do is we will pay you because the government will ask for our payroll. We'll pay you, but you have to rebate the money back. And he rebated the money back, um, and then eventually he blew the whistle on the employer, and they both got in trouble. And that case is a small illustration of what uh, you're talking about there, Ben, is taking advantage. Interestingly, that was per a person who was here lawfully, and then his permit was up, and so he that would convert from lawful to not lawful, and at that point the employer uh, pressed its advantage. Interesting. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ben. Uh, you have a pyramid, by the way, uh, you sent me. Yep. Page 67 I'm looking at here. Uh, you've got citizen. This is in, uh, permanent and temporary employment, I guess. Right. Citizen, non-citizen, permanent resident, temporary work visa, and then unlawful. Right. It's just an interesting pyramid. It's upside down. But Anybody who wants a copy of the pyramid, you can email me <laughs> uh, at the university at mhl at illinois.edu. But the, the purpose of the pyramid is to create a visual of the employment 
immigration system. And the, the middle slice is where a lot of this controversy takes place. The, the bottom slice with the undocumented, certainly there's a lot of discussion about that. But now we're talking about reforming the legal system. And within that, it divides into two basic categories, permanent status and temporary status. So, um, I'm, I'm, you know, you and I talked a little before the show. We never think about baseball, but baseball is very dependent on immigration. And so if, if everybody mm-hmm. just pauses and thinks of their favorite team and you think of the roster, it's very likely you have players from the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, um, Cuba, other places, yeah. Cuba yeah. et cetera. Oftentimes, those players come here um, on um, a, a special sports visa, uh, and it's temporary. Um, now, if they're really good, they can adjust status. So um, we talk about this in our class. And the long story short is I begin class by asking students, have you ever played shoots and ladders? And I cringe because I'm worried that um, as I get older, students will have no experience with Nobody. shoots. And everybody says, oh, yeah, whether they're from the United States or another country, they have all played shoots and ladders. That describes our immigration system, the mm-hmm. complexity, which is you start at the bottom and you try to run up a ladder if you're doing mm-hmm. it uh, lawfully. And But there are a lot of shoots that go on um, in there. The government has just stunning power to withdraw uh, your mm-hmm. visa. So um, courts don't tend to touch that. They, they say that that's the way the act is set up and uh, it's too bad. 948, we're on with Michael Leroy. Open line in hour two. We're talking immigration this hour. Alan, good morning. Good morning. Got several points I'd like to make. Uh, first, you spoke of the two people from Haiti. Right. Well, if you let 100,000 people in, you're going to have a couple successful people no matter what. So I think that's a ridiculous argument. Um, you talked about the uh, meatpacking plant in Iowa. The reason you can't get Americans to do is because they're not paying enough in wages. If nobody if it gets a job and you don't have all these immigrants, they're going to have to raise wages or they'll go out of business. They're depressing wages for everybody. I used to live in Colorado. You couldn't find an American who would be doing roofing, who would be doing road work, who would be doing drywall. They're taking all of those jobs. Disney fired all their programmers and replaced them with people from in India and then made the programmers train them how to do it. I had a friend who worked at GM, and they tried to hire a Russian uh, engineer because they could pay him lower than what they paid Americans. And so in the uh, job requirements, they said, oh, we need somebody who speaks Russian. They didn't need anybody who spoke Russian. And the worst thing is they're destroying the education for Americans because all these kids come in, they don't speak English, and it drives down the education. Terrible. All right. We'll let him respond to all that, or at least some of it. Or Well, uh, I, I will say um, that uh, let's talk about the meatpacking industry. That used to be heavily unionized. Uh, so I want to talk about Alan's notion that um, immigrant labor is suppressing wage rates. Um, in fact, what happened is uh, employers um, uh, permanently replaced uh, striking American workers, who were seeking um, higher wages, higher benefits, protections for health insurance. Um, Look up the Hormel strike in the late 1980s, early 1990s. I forget the exact year. There were a wave of strikes. Uh, Unions lost every one of those strikes, meaning employers implemented their final offer. Their final offers were low wage, low benefit. Um, So um, we'll have to disagree about that. Um, If they they didn't allow that... mm -hmm. That, and they didn't have the immigrants to replace all those union workers, what would they have to do? They'd have to raise wages or they'd go out of business. Right. 
Um, some of them did so go out of business. So they are depressing wages. You can't argue that. Uh, well, I, I certainly can argue that. Uh, how? How? If, if you don't pay the wages and you don't have the immigrants, who's going to do the job? Well, what do economists have to say about that? Um, uh, they, they, they have a mixed picture on it. They'll go by industry, and in some industries what you're asserting is true. In many in other industries, it is not true. You made a blanket statement. The, the studies show a mixed pattern of wage suppression, 3 to 5%. Uh, also, uh, studies show that in some industries, um, when you have uh, immigrant labor, you stimulate the economy and you raise wages. So it's well, who lost their jobs, all the roofers, all the drywallers, all the electricians. Yeah, I, like I say, when I lived in Colorado, there was a company that was repainting the apartment complex where I lived. There was one guy who spoke English, 12 guys who were Mexican. They didn't speak any English at all. They weren't making what a normal American would make. What about the people in California who used to be drywallers? What about those Americans? Mm -hmm. Now they're on welfare. What about that? Yeah. All right, we'll let him answer that, Alan. Okay, i got to move to other callers, but, but thank you. Okay? Go ahead and finish up on that. Yeah. So I, I think fundamentally what Alan's pointing to is this wage stagnation that has been prevalent. We can agree there. Um, that people with low to medium skills have not enjoyed a rising standard of living since the early to mid-1980s. We disagree as to whether immigration is the reason. Um, I do um, believe immigration is part of that uh, situation. I think the decline of unions is part of that situation. I think automation is part of that. It's a complex picture. Mm. All right, back to the phones for Michael Leroy. We have Eric up next. Hi, Eric. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Um, I assume at your station, you look, you're under, uh, you're familiar with George Orwell. <clears throat> yes, 1984. Yes, 1984. Yep. Well, you've banded about the term undocumented worker or immigrant or whatever. The term's the illegal alien. So what you're doing is, is ascribing to to newspeak, which is a, a, a George Orwell term. And uh, I, I think when you, if you're going to address these issues, you need to do them in succinct and, and, and terms and ones that have clear, clear, clear meaning to them. Okay. Well, we'll let him respond to that. Okay, Eric. Sure. Thank you, sir. Um, Go ahead. It's it's a good observation. Language uh, is a big part of this. Language right? is a big part. Um, when people come here, there are two main ways that people come here unlawfully. They overstay their visa or they come across the border. The immigration statute refers to both as an unlawful presence. I want to repeat that, unlawful presence. The reason the immigration statute, this is not political speak, this is what our law says, is if we, if, so the caller's premise is they're, they're illegal and therefore criminal. The reason that we don't call them criminals by statute is they would have to have a criminal process. They would have to be read their Miranda rights when ICE picks them up. They would have to have an arraignment in a court of law. They would have to be represented by counsel. They would have to be incarcerated or fined if they were found guilty. The purpose of an immigration law, whether it's the United States law, China's, or any other immigration law, is to deport people who don't belong. So the reason that the statute uses unlawful is it's a much faster process for deporting people rather than incarcerating people in our criminal justice system. All right. Back to the phones again. We're at 954 again. We're barely going to scratch the surface here. But, this is good. But this is good. Good conversation. Tom, how are you? 
I'm just fine, Brian. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Well, thank you. Yourself very much over the years. I appreciate uh, that. For, uh, I've always understood that they uh, banned immigration from 1921 till 1965 to let the uh, new immigrants who came to our country legally assimilate back into the to our country. And I wonder, after 50 some years, if we shouldn't take a look at that and deal with the borders and, and uh, DACA. Because I don't think we're going to get rid of these people that are here, these young dreamers. I'd like to know his opinion. All right. Very good. First of all, um, hats off to you. Uh, 1921 to 1965 is absolutely accurate. We had a strict anti immigration law. I'll answer it from a personal rather than professional perspective. Uh, my father came to this country as an illegal immigrant. Uh, he survived the Holocaust. He survived concentration camps. I didn't know until after he died that my mother told me that he came here illegally. I thought he came here legally. When he came to America, his first morning in New York City, he could not order breakfast. A cousin had taken him out. He had to translate. Uh, by the time my father passed away 60 years later, he was a very successful businessman in Chicago. He employed over his lifetime hundreds of American citizens. And I would represent to you that um, when he came here, he was perfectly unassimilated. He didn't speak English. He, he, he was Jewish and remained Jewish, and Jews experienced discrimination. And he, um, he achieved what people like Shad Khan have achieved. Shad came here from um, under very different circumstances to study from Pakistan. Well, uh, many years later, uh, he's a very successful businessman and team owner. So this idea that people who come from other countries don't assimilate uh, overstates the situation. In fact, many people who come here, whether legally or not, are extremely successful and contribute uh, to the good of our society. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, all I'm saying is that, you know, there's, that's, you know, there's a, a lot of good foreign immigrants that have come into this country whether illegal or legal, the legal ones are coming through the proper way. The other way is a little different. I understand that with your father. Most people that did come to this country, legal or illegal, could not speak the language. All right. Hey, thank you, Tom. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, do we have somebody else here? Hello? Hi. Yeah. Um, so... I would like to ask the professor about the wall. Um, mm -hmm. If Trump gets his way with the wall, won't they just get ladders to climb over the wall or <laughs> dig underneath the wall? And don't we kind of need them to do that if we want to keep eating strawberries? All right. Okay. We'll I, let him I, answer that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the serious conversations about a wall include components of a physical barrier, components of electronic surveillance, and so forth. Um, and I think I think that needs to be addressed, meaning I think y you need something there. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, more seriously, you're talking about picking strawberries, and that is a serious matter because we as a nation, um, when we buy our groceries, uh, we are heavily subsidized by immigrant labor, both lawful and not. Um, so if we keep uh, that labor out of the market, uh, whether you're eating meat or vegetables or fruit, you're going to pay more at the grocery store. All right, we're at 356-9397. We're at 958. Uh, one uh, texter says, from Bill, do we really need more labor or cheap labor? Hire American and you take them off government minus uh, column and put them in the plus column. Pay Americans more because of labor competition, and they will pay more into Social Security. We're at 958. 
with uh, Michael Leroy. This has been a, a great hour. Let's go to Frank. How are you, Frank? We've got about a minute here. Um, so I'm doing all right. Just had a quick comment. Uh, I've got no issue with hardworking people. The issue I have is I sent in 75 pages of paperwork to the government to bring my wife here and waited a year. And the frustration I have is when so many people are coming illegally and then benefit from that. That's all I got. All right. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, that is a... It's a serious problem, and I'm glad Frank called and shared that. That's a serious issue. Yeah, it sure is. One more. Texas says, I believe there are many illegal immigrants working in the country who do not have a Social Security number or using a fraudulent one. Employers still withhold income tax and Social Security from their wages. What happens in that money? Is that just not windfall revenue for the government? So that's probably a longer answer than we have time for. I I give a short answer. It goes into something called a suspense account, and it's just it's put on hold, and it certainly is true in that situation. It's also true people have hyphenated last names. They often get lost in the Social Security system. The computer doesn't get categorized right, and the money gets lost. Michael, great to have you on. Thank you, Brian. Boy, this went really fast. And we'll do this callers, again. I, I really appreciate every caller. It was, yeah, it was good. We'll do this again because this Thank is going to be a hot topic, I'm sure, throughout the uh, spring. So. Thank you. All right, this is WDWS Champaign-Urbana. The news is next at 10. Money at It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. You can reach out to us on the phone at 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com or text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again, Brian Barnhart. All righty, welcome back. Penny, for your thoughts, what a great first hour huh? with Michael Leroy. We'll have him on again soon, as I'm sure the immigration issue is going to continue to percolate or and or boil, I guess, so over the next uh, few months, uh, weeks ahead. So uh, he really, really knows what he's talking about and is very, very good at explaining it, and that, that makes for a great guest. So we appreciate Michael Leroy being with us uh, in that first hour. We have an open line this hour. Three five six nine three nine seven. You can text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line three five one five three five seven. You can email us talk at wdws dot com is how you reach us. A little horse today, not too bad, but a little horse. Uh, I, I didn't quite catch what the basketball team had, at least not yet, uh, with all the flu that ravaged the team over the last week. But uh, there are a lot of head colds going around, I guess, and I certainly. Um, have had that so of course we have an overtime game last night as it turns out and uh, the Illini do lose to uh, Iowa last night 104 to 97 27 points from Trent Frazier he had a career high points career high three-pointers made seven of 11 the Illini hit 14 threes Illinois had a 20-point lead with 350 left there in the first half Iowa went on a 10-0 run to start the second half, and then the battle was joined at that point. Uh, the Illini kind of maintained the lead for the most part. I mean, they were up 5-6 in that range. Uh, maybe I don't know if they got it back up to 9 or 10 again, but Iowa kept close, and they tied it at 66. Then Iowa seemed to have the game won. It was almost like the Maryland game in reverse. Iowa just about had it done, and then the Illini rallied, get the three by Trent Frazier to tie it, to send it to overtime at 90 
and then Iowa pulls away in the overtime period. So the Illini, think about it, Illinois with five Big Ten losses, three of them are in overtime, and two of them at home. Just their second loss at home this year. So anyway, that was the story from last night in the basketball game. If you didn't stay up late, I know some people went to bed early and uh, thinking that one was in the books as a win for the Illini didn't turn out that way. All right, uh, let's go back to the phones here. We'll take your text as well and emails. And uh, let's see here. Tiny, good morning, Tiny. How are you? Good morning, good morning. I uh, I don't want to rain on your parade, Brian, but uh, if you're going to have somebody on immigration, again, let's have somebody that's not pro-immigration. I This guy... See, the people called in and tried to explain to him, I'm a construction worker. I'm, I don't work anymore. I'm retired. Mm-hmm. But if you look around this town and see what the immigrants have taken away from us, it's terrible. And the reason they have is because of cheaper wages. One of these days, we're going to be a third world country. This guy is pro-liberal. He's that you just had on. He's got that's two things against him. He's a professor at the university. They've lost all their credibility. Uh, have somebody on that's a little bit more that's not going to use the bully puppet like he did to explain why, you know, using two kids over there out of a million or two or three million that have been successful. That's, that's terrible. Uh, I heard on television the other day, and I'm you know, sometimes you have to take it with a grain of salt that 91% of the immigrants in this country are on welfare. Uh, what percent? 91. 91. Now, I, I told you I heard it on television. Yeah. I didn't see it written down in any statistics. But I'm just, uh, if 50% or 30% are on welfare, that's too many. Uh we don't need that. We we don't have any money in this country. We're in debt. We're in debt to China several trillion dollars. And all this guy can think about is bringing another guy in here. It's like I've told this program before. The reason Mexicans pick grapes is because they pick them, pick them for 10 cents on the dollar. I'll be glad to pick grapes so they pay me a union scale. Uh, yeah. Well, the meat I... out there and... In Iowa, you know, they, the reason they lost the strike was because they hauled immigrants, in, illegal immigrants, by the way, yeah. in there and took the Americans' jobs. I'm an American. I'm God-fearing, patriotic American. I don't care who comes into this country if they come in legal. But if you're going to have somebody on there again talking immigration, bring somebody on like me or somebody that knows what we're talking about, has lived here, has experienced it, and knows what's going on in this country. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Tiny. Well, here's the thing, and I'll answer that. Look, I thought Michael was really pretty down the middle, and he was also really good at explaining what in the world the debate is about. You know, and I don't, you know, fine, everybody's got their point of view on this, and it is a hot issue, let me tell you. I mean, it cuts across party lines. It cuts across businesses. You've got you know, in regards to labor and immigration and illegal immigration. I mean, there's way too much of that. That's why, I mean, Trump, uh, President Trump got elected to do something about 
illegal immigration. I mean, I, there's no question about that, and I think Michael acknowledges that. I mean, I just think he's very knowledgeable of what he's talking about, expresses himself really well, comes across on the air in a fantastic manner, and whether you agree with him or not, I think he's pretty fair. I mean, I, I don't think that was um, far-left ideology he was expressing there, and I think he did a really good job of explaining a really complicated issue that uh, cannot be summed up in a soundbite. That's my opinion. So we can agree to disagree about that. All right, uh, back to the phones. Alan, how are you? Okay, Brian, the uh, sun come up again today. <laughs> it is? It's behind the clouds somewhere, I think. Well, yeah, it's uh, pretty nasty out here again, typical winter day. Uh, I don't know where to go with this, Brian, with the basketball team. I was going to talk about the soda bottles, but maybe they can do that a little bit later. But anyway, the basketball <laughs> team, as like Ed says, we're 0-20 in football and basketball. In the 70s, in the middle 70s, late 70s, we were really bad back then, football, basketball. Back then, we didn't even have a women's program. I didn't think we, back then, we also only had 10 teams. Now we got 14 teams. I didn't think I'd ever see the day we would be at the bottom and everything like we are. Uh, I thought the basketball team was improving. Last night showed me that I was wrong. Our defense was absolutely horrible. Give up 63 points in the second half. Come on. I mean, well, I, I, the, I don't the, know. The bigger issue was on the rebounds and the fouls. And oh, the fouls. we got yeah. killed on rebounds. And yep. If somebody was, look at, was to look at the stat, <clears throat> you were thinking we was playing at Iowa. Uh, on the they fouls? had, what, 32 out of 36 free throws, uh, 38, something, something like that. that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty high. Let's see, that, I can tell you right now, it's th- 30, 33 out of uh, 40. That's ridiculous at home. Should never give up that much. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I wish Josh Whitman would explain what year we're going, we will win. This should not happen now. Well, it's a painful process right now. There's no doubt about that. The soda bottle thing. Yeah. You've never had whistle in your life. I never had whistle, no. Wow. That, <laughs> I forgot all about that until somebody brought that oh, up. Oh, yeah? I think a lot of whistle horns back in the day when I was a kid. And it was pretty good stuff. Of course, yeah. everything is all back in bottles. Everything tastes better in bottles. Oh, sure. I, I still think they do. <laughs> we Our... even used to get milk in bottles. Oh, that's right. Well, they used to deliver it to your door, right? Right. And well, that too. We used to go to the store and then be in bottles, but. I think they had too many breakages to keep that up. Hmm. I remember those, uh, those were the days. I remember going to a friend's house where they had goats and they milked the goats. They had goat milk. How about that? I've never had that. <laughs> I didn't I've have it either. I observed it, but I didn't drink it. <laughs> <laughs> that that film that that film on top was nasty. So uh, anyway, yeah, I bet it was. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Alan. Yep. Uh, it'll get better. Trust me, it'll get better. All right, let's go to uh, James on the line. Hi, James. Hey, how are you this morning, sir? Good. What's up? Uh, you're doing a really good job. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Uh, as far as labor unions go, I was in a labor union for eight years, and I want my money back that they stole out of my paycheck. They stole That's it, huh? all I have to say, because I know a lot of people in unions are glad they're not in a union. All right, oh, well. so, so you won't be joining one anytime soon. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, James. Good good to hear from you. All right. Three five six nine three nine seven. Uh, you can text us, Castle Heating and Cooling, text line 3515357. You can email us, talk at WDWS.com. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Hey, uh, Ted, good morning. You're on Penny. Go ahead. Good morning, um, Mike Tiny. I'm in the construction game. Yep. And on certain job sites, there's people that you won't go up against, and I'm talking physically. Yep. And I have and didn't win. And I, there's, I heard, I listened to about two seconds of that left-wing liberal nut job, and I turned it off. I've got Elizabeth Hess to fill that void. But I go over to Stevie J and listen to the truth. But that aside, there's no way I would go up verbally against a person who's educated, highly educated in the uh, Marxism, socialism, communism venue. I'm not educated in that. I'm a construction worker. All I ask is if you have some nut job on there like that again have somebody like joe the retired urbana police officer or whatever department he is with on there to to debate him joe and jd are that of all the people that call in are so well versed educated in their skills i won't listen to lies like that guy was telling and i won't go up against him verbally but i'll go up against him he wants to come out lay concrete asphalt or lay pipelines come on out but that's physical but i i don't want to hear the the lies all right ted hey thanks for calling in okay thank you good to hear from you thank you three five six nine three nine seven uh michael is uh very well educated in this and i look he knows a lot about this sort of thing uh, and I think he admi- he admitted. I think, if I recall correctly, he said, "Hey, it's it's different in different fields, different professions. Uh, what's going on?" So, yeah, we can. Uh, I'm certainly open to a debate at some point or a discussion. I'm sure he would be too, to go back and forth because this uh, this whole immigration issue is H O T hot. Uh, Ten twenty four. Let's go to uh, John. How are you? Hey, man. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Well, you know, I the guy that, uh, the union worker that called, I wish he would go back and look at history because he said he was God-fearing. Well, back in the day, there were a lot of people that was God-fearing, but they covered their heads. All of a sudden, you got the uh, Tuskegee Airmen that said they, could fly, they couldn't fly planes because they're not educated. They're not knowledgeable. They're dumb. All the soldiers in World War II that saved World War II especially the black soldiers and a lot of other minorities, they're dumb, they're ignorant. All come up, a lot of blacks are getting the same job that whites are getting. Oh, now we're back to being dumb, we're ignorant, we can't do this, we can't do that. You know, we need to stop this. This is stupid. You know, what the president did yesterday was an idiot. He should never have said that. You can be God-fearing all you want to and all this. But when you start making a mockery of the United States, it's sad. That's what the president did, and you're going to have a lot of people sitting there in his corner looking at that whole situation. You, you, we're embarrassment to the whole world right now. It's sad. It is really sad. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, he, he shouldn't have said what he said, uh, the way he said it. And that's the issue I think a lot of people have with him is how he says things. I mean, maybe you agree with him, maybe you don't, but it's like, okay, maybe I wouldn't say it that way. 
You know what I mean? I mean, let's admit it. Haiti, Haiti is in a tough spot, and they always have been. I mean, that's a tough country to live in. And that started with the Louisiana Purchase. Well, yeah, you know? there's, there's, there's a lot of history with it. And, um, right. The thing that gets me is I wonder what General Marshall, General Patton, General Eisenhower, General Bradley would be thinking right now of this country. What they did in World War II to turn this thing around, it is going backwards, and it's really sad that we have to sit there and look at this. A lot of people are laughing, but my people, black people of America, went through the same thing that the Hispanic people are going through now. We wasn't welcome here either. Born and raised here. I'm proud to be an American, but I wouldn't accept it. Hey, John, good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. I need a break. Back with more after this on Penny for Your Thoughts. A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart continues on News Talk 1400 WDWS. Welcome back. Penny for Your Thoughts continues. There's our music on Friday. Glad you're with us. 356-9397 is the phone number. Those have been busy today. Cooling, uh, heating and cooling text line from Castle, 217-351-5357. You can email us, talk at WDWS.com. All right, let's go back to the phones here real quick. And Richard at 1036, how are you, sir? Well, I'm fine. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I wanted to uh, say in support of John, uh, your last caller of the last hour or last half hour, um, Trump was... Uh, not very wise in what he said, and Jesus in Matthew 5, uh, 22 talks about how serious it is to label people fools, uh, idiots, whatever. Um, Trump is, uh, is, was wrong in that regard. And on another matter, I wanted to comment on uh, the gentleman you had the first hour. Yeah. <clears throat> he, he was clearly a liberal. Um, a person who supports DACA um the only reason DACA was uh, put forth by Dem- Democrats was to get a large block of future Democrat voters. There, there's no other way around it. I mean, they were youthful people who were brought here. So, of mm-hmm. course, um, the Democrats who are who are considerably wiser than the Republicans, and Jesus characterized that as uh, – the the children of darkness are more shrewd than the, the children of light. Okay. They they take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if they come here, if they're if, but if they're brought here by their parents, whose fault is that? I'm not. Uh, is that their fault? I'm I, guess? Not, I believe many of them came unescorted. If you look into the matter, Brian, I think they were unescorted. It was uh, a flood of young people from South America who. Um, I don't know how they were selected. I don't know enough about the program. But when you look at it, you, you realize that at some point, um, public, uh, general public support, let's say the millennials would say, you can't send them back. They've been here for 10 years or whatever. And they were, they were innocent in the way they were brought here. And so let's make them legal citizens and uh, register, register them all as uh, Democrats. And that's how I saw the program. So, yeah. Um, well, I I, 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 I don't think it's I don't think it's that simple. But uh, 
I, I know I understand what you're saying, and there were a flood of uh, young people from Guatemala and, I mean, all these different countries in Central America that were crossing through the Mexican countryside. I mean, there was a flood of those. There's no doubt about that. Sure. Uh, sure. But some of this goes back, you know, a lot longer than that. So, I mean, we're talking back to 2012, for one thing, uh, in some cases. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of legal arguments going back and forth about extending the program, and the judge just ruled that the president can't end the program in six months, and that'll be appealed, and you know, uh, a lot of people, hey, we need a border wall, we need better security. What I don't understand is why they can't compromise on this and say, okay, we'll do something with the Dreamers, but at the same time, put up a wall or extra security or whatever, instead of the Democrats keep trotting out that, okay, let's do the Dreamers first, and then we'll talk about the wall. But to me, the compromise is, let's do something about the Dreamers and fix that, and build a wall or do whatever security, and that's your compromise. Yeah. But but I don't know if they're ever going to get there because there's too much oh, political. Brian, I, you know what I mean? But anyway, I, hey, Richard, I, I got to go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I have a, a general overarching uh, view of this uh, matter of immigration. And uh, <clears throat> part of it is due to the fact that Adam sinned and, and God said, well, you're going to have to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Um, and. Paul writes and says, uh, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. Well, we have a society that says, oh, no, everybody uh, is entitled to a free meal, and we're going to tax those that are working and complying with that overall curse and uh, Christian, uh, shall we say, do hmm. doctrine. All right. Hey, Richard. Uh, and, then, and, and we're we're feeding people who uh, a man called and said 90% or something like that of immigrants are on Welfare, what he means is they're probably getting link cards or something, some kind of nutritional supplemental uh, yeah. card. But, uh, All right. Hey. That, that, to me, is a serious problem. It is. Hey, Richard, i got to move, but thank you. Hey. All okay, right. I I'm running up against the clock here. Hey, uh, real quick, let me tell you about a great place uh, where you're going to get a great mattress. Uh, you can go a lot of places, okay, and get mattresses. There's a lot of great places. They sell them. But I'm going to tell you real quick about the Snooze Luxury Mattress Shop on South Neal. I mean, you're not going to find any place like this anywhere else. If you want to take a step up in quality and style, Christy Powell is the specialist there. Now, she also works with Michael Klaus, Johnny Namoff, Big Mike Namoff. You know about Big Mike. But Christy is the kind of the head person there at the uh, Snooze Luxury Mattress Shop. And uh, just a great showroom when you walk in. There's full of mattress, king, queen, whatever you want to look at. But when you step in there, they're going to say, okay, what size bed do you need? What kind of mattress do you want? Do you want a soft mattress, hard mattress, firm mattress, I mean, pillow top? I mean, what do you want? And what they're going to do is they've got a machine called the Reveal. You lay down on like a bed, and it actually shows you on a screen where your pressure points are. Mine was in my shoulder, uh, some in my abdomen. But, I mean, if you, do you sleep on your side? Do you sleep on your back? I mean, how do you sleep? And that reveal machine will show you exactly where your pressure points are. And then they can say, okay, try this mattress. And in my case, try this latex mattress, which I'm told, and i got to double-check with Christy, but I'm pretty sure she said it's from the sap of a rubber tree. Okay, that's the, you're talking about the latex and all that's involved. It was the softest bed I've ever laid on. And it wasn't like I laid on there for two minutes and then got up and left. I was on there for like a half an hour. And while I was there, she was bringing pillows, and they've got wedge pillows to help, you know, if you like to sleep with your head up a little bit. Uh, on your side like I do. They've got travel pillows. They've got I mean, Pillows are unbelievable. I'll tell you more about those in, in the days and weeks ahead. But any kind of mattress you're looking for, 
type of pillow. They've got scented pillows. They've got sheets of high quality and luxury. All of this available from the fine folks at Snooze at 2007 South Neal Street in Champaign next to Scotty's Brew House. Ask for Christy, Big Mike, Johnny, Michael. They all can help you. But they are your luxury mattress experts. And I can tell you, you won't find any place like this anywhere else. I mean, this is an unbelievable place. So take a step up in quality. Check out their mattresses, their pillows, their sheets. When you buy the complete mattress set, you get discounts on the sheets and the bedding and the other supplies. So check it out. Snooze is your place to go. Snooze Luxury Mattress Shop. We'll tell you more as we go along about that great, great place. 1043 here at DWS. And let's see here, back to the phones, and Linda is on Penny this morning. Hi, Linda. Hi, Brian. Um, I just wanted to compliment your uh, guest. I thought that it was a great interview. You did a great job, and I thought Michael Leroy was very, very interesting. It's good to hear some really educated ideas and thoughts on the subject. And um, so that's what I I think. I wish you had more, you know, I hope you'll have more guests like that because there's so much to me, garbage on your station all day, not yours, but on your the rest of the day. And I want one other thing, I have one other thing to say. And um, as a child, I was taught <clears throat> by my mother that people who use curse words and swear all the time are not very intelligent or educated. And the reason they use those words is because they don't have the proper words to use. So um, I just wanted to say that our vulgar president evidently is ignorant and uneducated. Otherwise, he wouldn't be using the vulgar vulgarities that he does, because that's how I was taught. And I do believe that if you're intelligent and um, you have a little education and um, that you know other words. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was taught. I I don't I don't swear, and I I you know I can't say I never ever have, but I I make it a point not to. I mean, I just well, I just you, I, you drop a hammer yeah, on your toe, yeah. or you know I I had a <laughs> yeah. fracture in my spine, and when I fell, I might have said when that happened. I think I might have said something I shouldn't have, but for the most part, if you have the right words, and the other thing is, it doesn't matter if you're a truck driver or a professor, or if you work in a grocery store, or if you're a doctor. There's all, always education. There's always things to learn. There's so many things to read and learn. And I try to look at all kinds of sides of things, but when I hear a lot of lying, and I know it's lies because you see the truth, like nowadays, everything is on tape. Everything is on video. Everything is recorded. So when you hear someone tell a lie, they show you what they said before. You know it's a lie. So everybody can be educated by one means or another and yeah. um well, the one the one thing i the another one, thing that i really find appalling what, so anyway no I'm, so what was the last statement you made you find appalling lying, lying. oh like, well yeah i mean yeah. Yeah. and we're not talking little white lies like oh you know if you don't like someone's dress you, and they ask you if it's pretty you might say oh yes that's so pretty because you don't want to hurt their feelings i'm not talking about little lies I'm talking about giant lies, lies that hurt people's mm-hmm. the future, and well, lies sure. about yeah. important things. Well, on, and, and on so an issue that going on now. Yeah, no, you're right, Linda. And I, I for me, I, there, there are white hot. There's white hot rhetoric on both sides of some of these really, really big issues. I mean, you know, it's really it, it's really is. And I like to. I'm a curious person, and Jim taught me this too when he did the show. I like to learn about. Okay, throw aside all the rhetoric. 
and all the uh, the terminology and all the slang that people use for this or that and help me understand the issue itself. And that's what I was trying to do today because Michael understands that issue and he can explain it. And that's why I like him as a, as a guest uh, on a show. He's so. very, very intelligent yeah. and he's very educated. And listening to him I thought was really, really, really mm. interesting. And I thank you for having him on. And, oh, my gosh, one last thing. I thought I was going to have a heart attack last night at the game. Oh, my gosh. What? A <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I, well, I, I just, I know. And I just, oh, my gosh, that was just, un that, was, that when, when the 90-90, and I, I came home, I was glad I heard, got to listen to you when that, oh, but that was sad. But oh, anyway, yeah. Well, it was we're an all, We're all Illini fans as well as liking to listen to politics. So yep, that's right. That's the way. And thank you. You're, I think your show's great. You're doing a great job and um, love listening to you, even though I don't get to do it every day because I'm in exercise classes on some mornings when you're on. So I like Friday <laughs> mornings that I can listen to you. All right. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for being on. Great Thanks to hear from you. We need, we need a break. Back with more in just a moment. Welcome back, Penny, for your thoughts on News Talk 1400, and Gary's with us here. Gary, go ahead. Hi, Ryan. Uh, nice to talk to you. The um, Last night at the game, I have kind of a question. Uh, towards the end of the game, uh, there was a play where one of the Iowa players uh, tipped the ball and was going out of bounds, and then it, it appeared that it bounced off the official and stayed in bounds, and then they got the ball back. Right. Then later on, we had a, I think, I don't know, it was maybe an Aaron Jordan or something, was falling down, tried to make a pass, and was going out of bounds, and the official stepped out of the way. I'm just curious why he yeah. wouldn't try and block our, our uh, ball going out of bounds. <laughs> uh, well, I, he, they're always was trying the to. Official out of bounds, I, I couldn't tell. Was the official out of bounds when the ball hit him? For the Iowa player? No, no. the Because it, it didn't it bounce off when the Iowa player hit the ball? Didn't it uh, bounce off the official and stay back in bounds? Yes, and as long as the official's not out of bounds, it's a live ball. Okay, well, I so, couldn't tell it yeah, he was over yeah. by the bench. Yeah, yep. he was right across from us, so we it was, uh, and Dion pointed that out pretty quickly. So, okay, isn't he supposed to be out of bounds? Who the official? Well, I mean, uh, they're I mean they're running up and down the court. I don't think they're, you know, they can't be out of bounds completely because there's a lot of chairs on the sideline, right? All those the people with the seats, well, yeah, right? You know. Side. But on the, on, yeah. on the end lines, they're always out of bounds. Yeah. I don't know if there's uh, – maybe Sam Banks can help us with that. But I, as far as I know, I mean, if if, if, they, if it hits them and they're still in bounds, it's still a live ball. So that's all I know. You didn't even have one foot out of bounds. Okay. No. All right. Nope. Okay. That's, that's too bad. Yeah. All right. I just, that was just kind of a, a weird observation. I thought that maybe you could have blocked our ball from going out of bounds too. But. Well, that would have been nice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. All right. All right. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. All right. Tim Brando, one of my favorite sportscasters, and I talked to him last night before the ball game, and I don't have time to run the whole thing, but I did want to get his comments in about Dick Enberg. And for those of us in this broadcast profession, sports, Dick Enberg was like a hero to us. He was so good on the air. He was smooth. He was, he was just fantastic and uh, did so many sports. And I, I talked to Tim Brando, who does – He's hosted CBS shows. He's been on ESPN in the early days. He's been over the SEC. National broadcaster Tim Brando. And I asked Tim about Dick Enberg and his memories. Did he ever work with Dick Enberg? Well, not only got to work with him, but idolized him all my life. Um, 
probably five big-time announcers were my idols as kids. Uh, Kurt Gowdy was my ultimate idol. I named my little brother after him when I had a chance to do that. Uh, Jim Simpson, whom I worked with in my earliest days at ESPN, had a tremendous impact on me. Um, and there's absolutely no doubt that past those two guys, number three on my list of five is Enberg, because Dick was, at the time when I was coming out of school and starting my career, he was the guy that was doing everything. Uh, and he humanized the game, and particularly in college basketball, working with Al McGuire and Billy Packer during the heyday of the 80s. Uh, you know, Kurt and, and Jim taught me what I needed to know and, and the grassroots of, of play-by-play. But Inberg taught all of my generation. And when I say that, I'm 61 now. My generation, the baby boomers, we, we were taught by Dick that we could be even better than that, that we could tell stories and we could humanize the, the, the player when they were on the floor. Let the people at home know something beyond just the basketball or just the football about this or that player. In effect, he taught us that we could be not just storytellers, but but we could go beyond that. We could have impact uh, beyond just what a normal play-by-play guy could, could be. And for that, I'll always be grateful to him. When he came to CBS after his uh, run at NBC, I was still in my late 40s, early 50s, and we did uh, U.S. Open tennis together. I went out to another... Uh, I never got to do, uh, you know, the uh, center court, uh, Arthur Ashcourt yeah. <laughs> at Wimbledon. I didn't get to do that, but I was w- working U.S. Open uh, for CBS on some outer courts, yeah. and I would take the, the ride with him over from our hotel to Flushing uh, back and forth and just listen to him. You know, just he was telling me story after story, and I, you know, took a little from him and a little from Kurt to hopefully all of us steal something from the great ones. But this board that you're looking at right here mm-hmm. that I utilize, color-coded, I actually saw on Dale Brown's uh, wall in 1981 after he was at the Final Four. To show you what a class individual Dick was uh, to the the coaches that he dealt with. And they are the lifeblood of what we do. We have to have good relationships and trust trust relationships with uh, the coaches to do what we do. He would take these boards for the Final Four participants, laminate them, Mm. put them on a plaque, and then put underneath it in gold, oh my, congratulations, Final Four, Dick Enberg. And I will tell you, every coach that was in a Final Four that Dick called put that right up there with all of the other great uh, awards they may have received. It meant that much to them. So Dick was a a sentimental soul and got the best out of everybody. Kate, great to see you, Tim. Great to see you. I know, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I know a lot of people in this business look up to you, too, well, so for all your work. Well, so. thank you. I, I, I'd like to believe that I am part uh, paying it forward, as those guys did, because that's what we have to do in every industry. And there are a lot of great young broadcasters out there, and I've, I've told many of them when they've come my way, you know, all you have to do is ask, and I'll be there to help you. That's uh, Tim Brando. He did the game on television last night. And uh, Tim is a guy I've always looked up to just for the way he handles himself on the air. He's positive. He's energetic. He's really good at what he does. I've got a few guys that I really like, like Mike Tirico, I think, is excellent uh, in that role as well. And Tim has done a variety of things, hosting shows on CBS. He was in the early days of ESPN, had a radio show he hosted. uh, I don't know if he still does or not, but 
uh, was on uh, CBS uh, Sports for uh, many years on their radio side of things. So uh, just a fantastic guy and had a chance to sit down six, seven, eight minutes with him last night. But I wanted to bring you at least that because Dick Enberg was a guy that I always enjoyed watching and and I know he has a lot of respect for Dick and had a chance to uh, work with him. And, of course, Dick Enberg just passed away here recently. So, anyway, I thought that was pretty cool to visit with him last night. hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for indulging me on that. Thanks to uh, Michael Leroy for being with us this morning in the first hour talking immigration. We've got the news coming up at 11. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you early next week from Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm Brian Barnhart. Have a great week, everybody. Go Illini on WDWS.